Hey everyone, welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay Maestas, and I am so excited to be here today with author Melissa Johnson. Melissa recently launched her book, Soul Deep Beauty, which talks about her story surviving an eating disorder and diving into the standards of beauty in America and what authentic beauty and self-love look like. At the end of our days, we want to be proud of how we spent that day. At the end of our lives, we want to be equally proud of the decisions that we've made. To do this, we need to face the hard. We need to talk it out. We need to lean into community, relatability, and understanding. We need to hear how other people got it together, how they overcame the shame, hurt, toxicity, and past trauma, and chose to move forward but nobody talks about the hard stuff enough. Life is tough and confusing, and yet we try to glide over the struggles like the glaze on a donut and expect to come out unscathed on the other side. We don't deal with the hard, we just keep moving forward, distracting ourselves with scrolling, Netflix binges, and a busy, busy life. But none of us wanna feel like we're drowning or settling in the one life that we've been given, and that's where this show comes in. I long to be a piece of the puzzle that not only extends a hand, but comes alongside of you to live well, and to live with joy. On the Living Easy podcast, I dig deep and talk about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing. We talk about the nitty gritty of marriage from living like roommates to the confusion of sex and intimacy. We talk about the reality of losing friendships and the art of making new ones as an adult because let's be honest, it is not always easy. And we explore essential life principles like real forgiveness, making perfect memories in imperfect homes, and how to deepen your relationship with God in a way that genuinely changes how you live and how you love. God has used the Living Easy podcast to touch hearts in nearly every country in this world. I started this journey with just a computer on my lap as a nursing mom. And since that point, I've had the incredible privilege of connecting with millions of people worldwide through my platforms and through my online courses, such as The Wife Project, From Roommates to Soulmates. At the heart of it all, it is people who make my world go round. Relationships matter and how you feel about your life at the end of your life is of great importance. And that is why I pour my heart into connecting with you. People are everything to me and I share my own stories of my mess, the hardships and my big mistakes on this podcast paired with all of the wisdom and the lessons that I have learned along the way to bring you freedom. So let's be friends, click subscribe, grab your favorite warm beverage and get cozy. I'm Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Thank you so much, Melissa, for being here. I am honored to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Lindsay. Of course. So I would love to just hear a little bit about you. What compelled you to write a book and where do you live? Tell me a little bit about your family. Just let my audience get to know you a bit. Yeah, definitely. So I live in Minnesota. We were just talking about it, um, trying to soak up the warmth before it gets freezing cold here. Um, so I live here with my husband and, you know, my extended family lives here as well. And I have a pretty great community here from, I mean, I grew up here. And so as much as I am not a huge fan of the winters, uh, the community keeps me here and, and we have gorgeous summers. It kind of like helps you to forget how, how rough the, um, the winter is, but So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I teach a class at Bethel University on soul well-being. Um, I'm a certified spiritual director and host the Impossible Beauty podcast, which is all about redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. And it's kind of ironic because you asked about, you know, how I got into writing the book. And to be quite honest, like I've always loved writing, but I didn't really... um, 
you know, I didn't have like the set out to write a book essentially. What, what happened for me is I was, you know, working as a licensed marriage and family therapist at, you know, in my like late twenties, early thirties, when my own therapist let me know that I was um, engaging in some behaviors around food and exercise that she classified as an eating disorder, which honestly took me aback. Like I, I didn't quite um, see it that way because I felt like I was doing and believing a lot of the same things that peers were believing what my, the culture was teaching me to do when it came mm-hmm. to food and exercise. And um, I ended up having to pause my work and essentially pause life to do some intensive work around an eating disorder. And through that work, I started to see how our ideas around beauty and also body image in our culture are depleting us of life and not just those with eating disorders. But I think um, I focus on women. I think this actually impacts both men and women, but I saw how mm-hmm. the the impacts of this are our soul deep and way like deeper and broader than I had previously seen. Um, and so that's where the book came from is I, I realized like I couldn't like not say something. And so I came yeah. out of my, um, my treatment experience with, with slowly was developed into this, this book idea, um, because I felt so passionate about standing up for these lies that were being fed. Yeah. Would you mind sharing, were there any practical things, I guess, that, or, or tangible things that led you to this point where you're looking in the mirror and you're like, this is not enough, or you're with a spouse and you're like, I, I feel gross. I just feel ashamed. Or were there moments that you realize as you look back that started to trigger this feeling of needing control over your body more than others? Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because I, I talk about this, like as a a brainwashing essentially, Mm -hmm. like, I think this is what our culture, um, has, has taught us to do is look at our, our bodies as essentially less than, um, because when that kind of shame is elicited, then we become great targets for purchasing products, um, and, you know, buying into, to essentially diet culture. And so, um, you know, I think, I think for me, I, you know, I do remember like definable moments where I feel like I was in the midst of, um, you know, inundated with, with shame, feeling like I wasn't doing it, you know, well enough. Um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't eating quote perfectly enough. Um, and you know, it's interesting. Mental health is interesting because I feel like I was, um, being fed, really unhelpful ideas about food and body image from our culture, largely these diet culture and wellness culture ideas. Um, and, and then I feel like I, it kind of hit a tipping point when my, I, my nutrition waned and that messed with my brain chemistry enough, I think to have give shame an even greater foothold because my resilience for coming out of it became, um, depleted essentially. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. I I imagine this is something that there are so many people who either struggle with or even struggle considering. I think that there's a place where in my own life, the pressure is so real. And I've shared this before that I moved to Franklin, Tennessee from Albuquerque. And there are a lot of really beautiful people here mm-hmm. and it's, it is a place of, of beauty. And I mean, there are many places like this, but I feel so much of that quote unquote darkness resides within my comparison Mm -hmm. and my desire to 
keep up or to look that way. And I've always struggled with appearance. It's just been something since I was little that was kind of fed to me, but also something I leaned into. How would you encourage others who are really battling with this comparison and envy in their own lives? Because I find that one thing that I've really had to be aware of in my life is how much it can affect my relationships and my friendships. Because if there are people that I'm struggling with, because I feel like they're so beautiful, especially as a married woman, you're like, I need to be careful or, or you feel like I can't even be around them because it makes me uncomfortable or I feel less than. What would you say to that person who maybe is allowing insecurity to cause them to disconnect from community? Yeah. Yeah. Such a good question. Okay. So this is going to be like a pretty big ask, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But so I had uh, Dr. Hillary McBride on my podcast and she had struggled with an eating disorder in her teenage years. And she talked about how she had to burn society's idea of beauty down. Um, and I absolutely love that. And I guess essentially that's what I've been slowly doing. And and so the first half of my book is basically demonstrating how this societal beauty that we are being sold is actually broken. Mm-hmm. And when we buy into it, it breaks us. And I think exactly to your point, I think it disintegrates us and disconnects us from other women, from community. I think it disconnects us from our own bodies because it can oftentimes lead to judgment to our bodies and our bodies become something to critique and a project to change what we know as well. So Dr. Kurt Thompson discusses how shame, he talks about it as a minion of evil and how Mm. shame actually disintegrates within and between neural networks. So it actually has a disintegrating effect in our brains. Mm. And so what I, I want, and also, like I said, our cultural beauty, I would say is broken because it is based on this idea that beauty is essentially, um, this, this marker that, that we can really never live, live up to essentially, because I mean, for, for one, um, the, our models for, for thinness have become, you know, essentially just thinner and thinner. Mm -hmm. Um, when we look at like, uh, the, the models that are, are used to, to model clothing, but also a lot of times what our benchmark for beauty is literally fake, Mm -hmm. um, because of, you know, AI now. And also, I mean, it used to be in magazines, it used to be print ads. So like, you know, celebrities and, um, and models, you, you had a sense that those things perhaps were photoshopped, but now it is my own image. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't enough. I, and then I look in the mirror and I look that, and I say, I have pores and I feel less than, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those are, that's like a very human thing. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I think, I think what I, what I'm, inviting women to see is that we are being played, um, by corporations and by, um, by, I would say, you know, beauty companies and, uh, those who sell like diet and wellness products, uh, to, uh, basically to make money off of our shame. But also, you know, I think God has called us to this, um, this vision of Shalom, um, that we see in the garden. And I think that God is inviting us into, um, mm-hmm. essentially at the end of, of this age, um, where there is connection within myself, with other people, with God, with creation. And what I started to see is that this beauty that we are being sold in our culture isn't beautiful at all because it actually disconnects us and leads us further away from Shalom, mm-hmm. um, which is why I, I just really want women to see that this is, this is not worth chasing after. Um, it actually brings about, um, 
disintegration in our lives, which is not God's vision for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I, I had to redefine it um, as the way I'm defining it is the life of God at work in us and among us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just have experienced in my own life. I, I really do think that that is true and authentic beauty. Um, I'm open for God to continue to open my eyes about the definition of beauty because I think um, his authentic beauty is like, like blows our minds. I don't know that I can even wrap words around it, but, um, but I would, I would tell that woman that, you know, this, this measuring stick that, that she is using, that we are using is flawed. Mm -hmm. So please walk away from it because it is not going to bring you fullness of life. It is going to bring about shame and it's going to be a moving target that, that we will never, um, like, like even that's the, the nature of an eating disorder. Even I notice, like that once you think you have a benchmark and then you meet whatever that benchmark is, maybe it's a number, um, it will always ask for more. It's the nature of chasing after this never enough standard. Mm, so good. I, when you say to walk away from this societal standard of beauty, I think, and tell me if you agree with this, that so much of that is taking our thoughts captive and being aware of what we're letting in and what we're letting out. And, and speaking of letting out, I think that a lot of that is changing the rhetoric and the conversations within our own friend groups and having the ability to say, Hey, I am going to stop before I begin when it comes to talking about how I look in these clothes or being on this diet or just food centric conversation versus talking about ideas and concepts and, and the identity, our identity in Jesus. And that's something that I've really, really focused in on in my own life are the moments when I'm finding myself just falling into this rabbit hole of, of insecurity or self-obsession to not only one, set my eyes on Jesus and who he's called me to be, but to stop, to take those thoughts captive and to pray for my character and for my heart, Mm. because that speaks I never, when I die, I'm not going to remember what that girl wore or how she looked in that outfit. I'm going to remember how someone made me feel. I'm going to remember who her God was. I'm going to remember how she loved and served the people around her. And so it's really just helped to shift my perspective when I find myself falling into, because I am not innocent of it, but falling into the conversation with people about, you know, we're going to Florida this weekend and I've been like, I need to work out. And I'm like, why I'm going to spend time with my people. Am I trying to compete with the people that I'm with? No. Am I trying to impress the people that I'm with? No, it's just insecurity that's seeping in. And so for me, it's like, it begins with us and shifting that rhetoric in the conversation. Would you agree with that? This is the truth about your marriage. God did not call you to be a fix him wife. He called you to be a love him wife. I want you to imagine for a moment your home lighting up in flames. Would you wait until the entire house had burnt down before seeking help? No, right? It's more likely that as soon as you saw the spark of that first flame, you would do everything in your power to fight the damage, fix it, learn from it, and to seek help. Now let's apply that same wisdom to your marriage. Divorce statistics do not lie, you guys. 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. So why wait until your marriage has burned to the ground before taking action? The Wife Project from Roommates to Soulmates is an eight and a half week biblical study that I am so deeply passionate about because I have had the amazing opportunity to watch it change thousands of marriages for the better around the entire world. It offers a lifeline for those seeking to become best friends with their spouse again, to actually like one another again, and to rekindle the affection, intimacy, and closeness that you once experienced. So is this a project for you? 
Here are a few questions that you can ask yourself. Number one, do you feel like coldness and hard-heartedness have replaced the affection and the excitement in your marriage? Do you find yourself feeling lonely, struggling to communicate your wants and your needs to your spouse, or just never wanting to be together? Number two, are you a woman who is seeking to embrace her role as a godly wife, just learning how to love your husband as God intended? Number three, do you long to deepen your relationship with Jesus, strengthen your own prayer life, trust Him in your sex life, and become a more godly spouse each day? Number four, perhaps you're single, coming from a broken home with a fractured view of marriage, and you yearn to discover what God says about this sacred union of commitment. Or number five, maybe you're recently engaged and you're eager to prepare your heart in the best way for your future husband by fixing your gaze on Jesus. I want you to consider the words of one of the students of The Wife Project who shared, My husband and I had been struggling for a very long time. We love each other, but miscommunication and exhaustion were taking a toll. In just a few days of walking through The Wife Project, I feel a genuine change in our marriage and in the tone of our home. As well as Kelsey's testimony, The Wife Project showed me God's vision for our marriage. I realized that I need to stop trying to get my husband to fill a role that he was never created to fill. Thank you, Lindsay, for giving me the tools I needed to save my marriage. I truly believe you are a gift from God to our family. So if you are ready to change your marriage, there has never been a better time to invest in one of the most important relationships in your life. And it begins with you. We cannot change the person next to us as much as we might want to, but we can start with us. And if we deepen our faith in such a way that it pours out onto our marriage, we will see the fruit of that in our home. This course includes a 65-page workbook with practical applications, conversation starters, date night ideas, memory verses, journaling pages, and so much more to get you started right away on implementing what you're learning. It is time to make a generational change for the sake of your children and for the glory of God. Let them see how you communicate healthfully and change the dynamic of your home for the better. You will learn how to communicate, love, serve, date, and pursue intimacy as Christ intended, and you will never regret it. Click the link in my bio or go to sparrowsandlily.com backslash the-wife-project to get started today. You will have lifetime access and can go at your own pace. Make the choice to transform your marriage and write a new chapter today. Let's get back to today's episode. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I I do think that this is a cultural shift that's needed because Mm. yeah, absolutely. I think we can start in our own hearts and minds. Um, but, but I think that these narratives, these counter narratives around beauty, um, will, will really be, you know, especially helpful when they pick up, uh, momentum in our social groups. Um, and, and so we actually change culture, um, and so I talk about this right. in the book, I, I have a chapter called reversing the baby shower effect. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we all have been probably to those baby showers where you know, <laughs> it's basically an all female group where someone's going to come complain about eating X, Y, or Z or what food plan they're trying. Um, exactly what you were saying. And so maybe you've, you've heard of this term. It's called, um, so it's a sociocultural term called fat talk. And it's basically this idea of how women, you know, maybe the one woman will say critique something about her body. And then out of a, um, an attempt to make that woman feel better. Another woman will say, Oh, you think that's bad? Well, look at my, you know, X, Y, or Z. Um, and so we do this from a place of, of trying to be, you know, kind and, and helpful to one another, but all we're doing is perpetuating these societal narratives that are actually tearing us down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so exactly to your point, yes, let's change the conversations. Maybe when it comes to our bodies, talking about how strong our bodies are talking about how amazing it is that they function. Like, 
since you and I started talking, Lindsay, I don't know how many times my heart has um, beaten or Mm -hmm. um, how many breaths I've taken, but like, I have not thought about doing that at all. Mm -hmm. And yet I have been given the miracle of, of life of breath moment by moment. Um, and, and we don't talk about that. Like, I don't talk about that in my friend groups, but like, that would be a lot more, um, like true and interesting and helpful, um, to maybe even dwell on that. Like we have this day, um, Mm -hmm. to live. Um, and so I, I think you are exactly right on. And I think also, yes. Um, when we think about this idea of beauty, I like thinking about like eternality, like, Mm -hmm. and to your point, like, yes, our character, our soul is eternal. Um, our, 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 like this, this fleeting ideas about, um, you know, how, how perfect our food is or how cute our outfit is like, yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying those things are, um, like, you know, like fashion and things like that are, are bad. I just think that in this aesthetic focus can pick up gravity in a way that can take over lives, um, very, very easily, actually. As you were talking about the breath and the heartbeats and focusing in on those things, the first thing I thought is how refreshing to, to, know someone to meet someone you who considers that and it just causes me to want to challenge myself and the audience to say how refreshing will it be to others around you mm-hmm. when that fat talk when that the rhetoric shifts and you give them the freedom to say who cares you know and and not so much just end it there but who cares because look at all that you've been given look at life and breath and an eternity that we have hope for who has time for such petty things. Because when it comes down to it, not that it's a petty issue when it's a struggle, but in the grand scheme of who God has called us to be, it is beauty and vanity is such a petty thing because beauty stems from who Jesus made us to be. And so I find that one of the most common questions I receive, and I want to ask you because you're a marriage therapist is that body insecurity often leads to a lot of discomfort in sexuality and in the bedroom. And so while women may be able to navigate this and focus on this and not having these conversations with friends, how can they equally do the same when it comes to feeling vulnerable or uncomfortable in front of their spouse or not wanting to be seen, especially postpartum? This is a huge issue amongst women where they withhold intimacy and from their husband. And I'm guilty of, you know, stealing that intimacy from my husband postpartum because I was so insecure and uncomfortable. How do you overcome that and give yourself the freedom to live in that joy in the beauty of intimacy that God has created, even when you're feeling insecure? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's so good. You know, I think that, um, you, I, I think that each chapter of our life, I, I think we can, um, take this in deeper and and in a different way. And so I'm thinking of, um, you know, for whatever reason we might feel insecure about our bodies, you know, well, first of all, I think having conversations with our spouse and being really open and vulnerable, like this is where I'm at. Um, you know, how can we come together, um, in a way that, um, is going to like meet where I'm at in this vulnerable, vulnerable place. Um, and I, I think being open and honest with, with your spouse is one piece of this, but I also think that this idea of, of body shame, um, one thing that I have found to be really helpful is, uh, is actually noticing how, how shame is embodied. And oftentimes, you know, for, for me, it shows up in like a pit in my stomach. I, Mm -hmm. um, 
I might feel, um, I'm like my heart start racing a little bit, you know? So I think that this, the physiology of shame or like how it shows up in our bodies are different for each person, but I think it can be helpful to notice when it shows up, um, within you and then to kind of have, have a counter to that. And to, for me, it's been really helpful to have like meditative times where I actually consider like, what does grace and love feel like in my body? Like, what would it be like to consider like the gaze of Jesus looking at me with this unconditional love? And what does that feel like in, in my body? Well, all of a sudden for me, I notice like everything kind of relaxes. Um, and I feel, uh, you know, more at, more at ease. Um, and so I I'm thinking of, um, of women and, for whatever reason, perhaps there is they're experiencing that body shame. Um, this embodiment of of grace and love, perhaps having a counter practice to to this embodied shame that that can show up. And then I think that maybe another piece of um, you know being open and vulnerable with your husband and maybe working together to figure out what can intimacy look like um, at this stage. Um, you know, given whatever the factors are, maybe postpartum or. Um, you know, I know some women go into marriage, um, with maybe just feeling not great about their bodies, you know, from the get go. Um, and so I think it can show up in, in different seasons of, of marriage as well. Mm -hmm. I love that wisdom of counteracting it with truth and with a different, almost a different feeling where that can just, it manifests. And I think the enemy, especially with women, the enemy uses insecurity to, I mean, it is, it's seek, kill and destroy. You destroy so many things around you. So many beautiful God-given gifts that are wrecked because of how we look in the mirror. And this is something that when I was in high school, I actually had a friend with an eating disorder and she was the smallest girl I had ever seen. She was probably 80 pounds, 85 pounds. She actually had a feeding tube at the time. And she was a close friend of mine. And I was so curious at this time because I didn't fully understand because I'm thinking you're the smallest girl I've ever seen. But when she, when I would ask her, like, what do you see? She says, I, I just need to lose more weight. I just feel so big and with a feeding tube, you know, and that didn't even phase her. And it really introduced me to this idea of body dysmorphia, where you can look in the mirror and and you see something completely different than what everybody else sees. Can you explain a little bit about what body dysmorphia is and how to battle the temptation uh, or the struggle of that? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Yes. I mean, so it's basically having like um, a view of your physical self that is not in line with reality. And what I have found, I'm not an expert in this by any means, but what I have found is almost like the more someone fixates on their external selves, their appearance, that it can almost like start to, it's like this over-focus that almost all of a sudden starts to warp reality. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that a counter to that is um, what is known as embodiment. And so what that is, is instead of focusing on uh, my image, my, like uh, from what an outside observer would see, like for instance, when I think about my body, sometimes I think about, oh, what I look like in a picture on my Instagram um, feed or whatever. But what embodiment is, is actually, instead of focusing on the, the image of my body, focusing on what it is like to be a body. 
So what does it feel like to experience joy? What does your body do? Does your heart beat a little faster? Do you get butterflies in your stomach? What is it like to have your body feel strong when you're going on this hike and breathing in the fresh air? And I think what we've gotten away from in our image centric culture is actually living in our bodies, being bodies. And I mean, I think about like the time that, you know, at, at one point the mirror was invented at one point photographs were invented. And so I wonder about those humans that lived before those things when I don't think they, I I'm guessing, you know, maybe they checked to make sure their hair was straight or something yeah. like in, in, I don't know, in a puddle. I don't know. But I'm just saying like, we, I, I feel like maybe because of these things, we are, we've been led astray because, because of this external focus. And I do think it messes with our, with our sense of, of reality in a number of ways. Yeah. Wow. So good. I'm all, I'm taking all kinds of notes <laughs> for, not only for myself, but for my audience. I, I think that just the practicality also of what you're sharing is really beneficial because it's such a mind game to mm-hmm. where like for me personally, and I share this because it is something that really consumes and has consumed my life. And it's something where I know that Jesus is regularly working, but my business is being front and center, you know, on social media. And it can absolutely suck the life out of me when I'm feeling that way. And when you mentioned that it becomes something where the more you focus on it, the more you focus on it, that is something I've really realized because in my own experience. Like if I'm around someone who I feel is more beautiful than me, I come home and I'm like picking myself apart and I acknowledge that I'm doing it, which is better than what I used to do. I didn't even care that I was doing it, but that's where I have to go back to scripture and say similar to that embodiment, but just refuting the lies with truth of who God says that I am, of who he created me to be, that I am an individual that he has made in his image. And what a gift that I even get to be here on this earth. And One thing I see so regularly, unfortunately, through social media is this concept of of aging, right? And how it's this negative, horrible, awful experience when you imagine a woman who has cancer, terminal cancer at the age of 25, what she would do to be 35 and to experience her child 10 years older and her husband 10 years older and this life where so many do not get to live it. And yet we become so focused in on how we look at that age. And a lot of that stems from being inundated with social media and these pictures. And you had mentioned before, Melissa, pores, you know, and I'm like, you don't see pores anymore because everything is Photoshopped. Everything is filtered. And I always joke with my friends, like when you're really struggling and when all you've seen are the 30 most beautiful women in the world, as soon as you open your eyeballs, go to a water park, go to somewhere where you see real bodies, real humans, and you will not see one perfect person because everything is so tainted. I was actually sharing this with my niece and would love for you to speak on this. I, she was really struggling. And I said, we were never meant to wake up in the morning or go to bed at night, looking at some of the, what the world would consider the most beautiful people in the world, half naked in bikinis with plastic surgery bodies. How can anyone function in a way that makes them feel confident in the woman that God has made them to be when they're essentially consumed by this? So what would you say to that, to people who maybe don't even realize how much they're taking in that 
unhealthy standard of beauty? Yes. Oh my goodness. Such a good question. And yeah, thank you for even just like setting that up in that mm-hmm. fashion. Yes. So absolutely. I, I think, I honestly think we need to turn the volume down on it. Like I think, I think we need to not be consuming so much media. Um, so I had this, a filmmaker named Elena Rossini. She had, she made this film called the illusionists in 2015, 2016. I can't remember, but I had her on my podcast impossible beauty. And she had mentioned in that, that film that it was estimated that by the year 2020, we would be at the point of media saturation where we were spending 80% of our hours exposed to some kind of media of our waking hours exposed to some kind of media. And I spoke with her several months ago now, and she's working on another documentary about social media. And she said, she thinks we're actually past the point of 80% of our waking hours being exposed to some kind of media. And exactly what you said, these images are, they're fake. They're, they're literally fake. And how that messes with our brains and what we quote should look like and the shame that that is eliciting. I don't think we quite even understand how much that actually impacts us. And so I think part of the answer, and and this is going to be tricky because, you know, we get that dopamine hit and I'm Mm -hmm. guilty of it too. Like I, when I, I get a text message, Oh, like my brain lights up and I want to see who it is. So I'm not saying this is easy, but I do think turning down the volume on these societal ideas of beauty, knowing that I really don't think that they're good for our souls. And I'm not trying to sound like the curmudgeon who's like 97 years old, No, but I I really do think it is forming our neural pathways. It's forming our hearts. Someone had said the other day, and I cannot remember who said it, but I I so resonated with it, that social media is discipling us. Mm, And so I... I think we need to become aware of that. And also, you know, the the statistics around how our youth are consuming media. So I'll just pull this up here. This comes from the Dove Self-Esteem Project. Girls ages 10 to 17 were found to spend five hours on social media every day. Um, and when we think about how plastic the brain is at that age, you know, I think at, uh, being adults, I think that is impacting us deeply. But at the age of 10 to 17, the the brain is developing so rapidly how that is informing the the minds and the souls of these girls i don't think we even know yet mm-hmm. um i think we're in an unprecedented time of media saturation and social media saturation so what i would say is i i think it's time we turn down the volume i think it's time we become more media literate and we start to see um see through the lies of, of media and social media. So know that when we look at an image, it is filtered. It is, you know, it's 90 sub percent chance that it has been filtered right. to know that when we're fit, if we're following that fitness influencer and they're drinking that, or they're using that supplement or drinking that, that smoothie in the morning, they are likely selling a product. And oftentimes we are using beauty to sell products, quote beauty, which because I don't think that that is actually authentic beauty. Mm-hmm. And, and so becoming literate in how, very often media is being used to sell us something. And, you know, even in the case of Instagram, even if someone is not a, um, you know, selling a product directly, Instagram is actually getting benefit from us staying on, on the app longer. And so we are being manipulated, but in the manipulation is not boding well for our hearts, for our minds, for our view of beauty. So I think turning down the volume on that can be really helpful. And I, I just ha- I have an addendum, Lindsay, to what you had asked about oh, the postpartum body. Yes, please. Because as you were saying that, I was thinking, I think our vision of what a postpartum body quote should look like, or what a naked body should look like in an intimate setting 
is completely unrealistic. I think it's completely false. I think we have a really pornographic culture right now where I think that our, like, I don't know if you, if you or your listeners um, resonate with this, but I will be watching a show sometimes. And the, like the sexuality that comes up on the screen is like something that would never have played in the nineties. And so I think that the way that um, we, we think that um, intimacy should look and with that, what our bodies should look like in the midst of intimacy, um, I think is, uh, we're, we're seeing more of, of that, but also I think that the pornography culture is seeping more and more into mainstream media, mm-hmm. which I think has a whole host of issues that are mm-hmm. damaging. Um, but I think when it comes to this issue of beauty, I think it is making us, um, feel even more so that we have this standard that, that we should look like, or should, um, live up to. And, and I don't think that that is the, I don't think that's real at all. And, mm-hmm. and also, I think that that is not what intimacy is about. You know, intimacy is the commingling of souls and the interconnection of you and your spouse. And really, it has nothing to do with how closely your body aligns with the cultural ideal. I mean, again, if we think back to the prairie days or like, like this would not have been <laughs> been an issue. And so I think it shows that um, that this is an issue because of comparison with unrealistic cultural ideals. And so let's like free ourselves of that and also make our husbands, make our spouses aware of like, Hey, um, that, that, that is actually not, not a real image for, that's not a realistic image for either one of us. I do that. (laughs) I'm like, Hey, Hey, look at this picture. This is what they looked like when they were 25. And now 35. And my husband, I get so frustrated because I'm like, he's like, yeah, she just got fit. And I'm like, no, she has had, and it's a, you know, plastic surgeon saying a nose job, a, an eye lift, a facelift. A, I'm like, it's so deceiving that we convince ourselves that this actually isn't a thing that almost every single celebrity, I know it's a generalization, but has had some form of plastic surgery, if not extensive plastic surgery and the awareness of that. And I totally agree. I think not only making our husbands aware, but like my boys, this is something, gosh, I could talk about this forever, Melissa, because my boys are five and eight. And I just see this. I actually recently bought them a game on their iPad and it's this fun little hotel game and it's for four plus is what it's geared toward. But mm-hmm. if you want to buy more cash or something, get more cash for your hotel, you can watch an ad because I bought the ads free thing. And I was with them and we were playing together and I clicked it and it was instantly this kind of like a Sims character, this cartoon woman. Again, this is a four age four plus game cartoon mm-hmm. woman with her bra, essentially like her, just her cleavage hanging out and she's like jumping up and down. Okay. Oh and goodness. I'm thinking this is my five-year-old boy playing this game. And a lot of the time, this I mean, the game isn't in itself is innocent. We don't realize these quick commercials on TV, these quick advertisements, even Netflix, as you're scrolling through or on smart TVs, when it shows these, it's a thumbnail of like, there's a show sex life and you see it's a very intimate scene and our children, they get that glimpse and they're seeing it. And so we've just, I mean, we've been having so many discussions in our home, not only with them about sexuality and God created and how God created sexuality and intimacy as a beautiful gift and how it's so distorted, but also within our home of what the allowances are, because, you know, we don't allow computers inside any bedroom where, but even with the iPads, like these things you wouldn't expect. And so just my encouragement 
to parents that not only girls on scrolling through TikTok, and as you mentioned, Melissa, their brains being formed in, in these pathways that are permanently being placed in their brains, almost like a pornography addiction, this addiction to dopamine, this addiction to the standard of beauty, but also the sexuality that is, is being created through that, this morphed, distorted sexuality. We really have to have a handle on what that looks like in our homes. Yeah. And even, I mean, I'm not a, a huge video game person, but I was reading, or actually it was that, that same documentary of the illusionists, how oftentimes, you know, video game characters, the way that they're depicted are just over-sexualized. And again, the way women are portrayed, you know, usually are very large breasted and have mm-hmm. the, more, more of like a, honestly, like a, a pornographic type aesthetic to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so wild. So I guess <laughs> I'm like, I could go on and on with this one. Um, we'll do part two, but I would love to hear from you in just your heart for this book and your own story and experiences. What do you hope that as somebody walks away after mm-hmm. reading soul deep beauty that they gain and, and take away for themselves? Yeah, that's such a good question. You know, my, my hope is is more freedom. I think so the first half of the book is kind of this the kind of why why we have to undo social or societal beauty. Mm-hmm. Um and you know this, this follows my own journey with with an eating disorder and, and recovery and why I had to redefine beauty. Um but really like I said the first half is how kind of I walked through letting go of societal ideas about beauty um and seeing why they are not worth our time, why they are not worth pursuing. And then the second half is kind of then like, how do we relate then to our bodies, to, um, to other women, to beauty itself. And so mm. this almost like undoing of societal beauty, but then how do we rebuild something more beautiful, more life-giving um, and something that actually is going to cause our souls to thrive the kind of beauty that, um, that, that God has ultimately purposed for our souls. And so I, I would, I would hope that readers would feel more free from, um, from shame, from these ideals. And, um, almost like maybe like a spirit of, of openness and excitement and adventure for like how God is going to continue to unveil like the breadth of authentic beauty. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story and your experience. And I know how many women will gain freedom just even from this conversation and the refreshment of hearing something different that is not focused on beauty. And one thing that I saw recently was that skincare is now the number one industry in the world. And just to make ourselves aware of that, that there is money behind all of this, that this is something that it's not just to make you beautiful. It's to make people very, very wealthy. And when we're aware of the motives behind it, that these are not godly, helpful motives. These are empty, enemy-driven motives. And so how do we actively fight against that? And in Soul Deep Booty, I know that you walk through so much. Your book has just really captivated my heart. And so I want to say thank you and mm-hmm. just helped me to navigate my thought processes and, mm-hmm. and how I kind of live within myself in the day-to-day with my thoughts and just taking control of those. So I'm very thankful mm-hmm. to have you on. And can you tell our audience where they can find you on your website or social media? Yeah. Thank you for your kind words about the book too. I really appreciate it. Um, 
So my website is impossible-beauty.com. Um, and then the the podcast Impossible Beauty is on, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, most of the places you find podcasts. Um, as a side note regarding skincare, I had um, Jessica DeFino on the podcast. I cannot remember the number, but it's in the last probably 10 to 15 podcasts if you go to Impossible Beauty. And she talks all about um, skincare and just what a racket it is and mm. how we are just being sold such a package of, of goods. Like it, it's, it's pretty false. Ooh, so, that's um, so good. I'll go listen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, she's like, she used to work for the Kardashian app. And so she's kind of, oh, wow. um, she's like known as like the, the beauty critic that the, or the, the beauty industry fears most. So mm, Jessica DeFino on impossible beauty. Um, so that is my podcast. And then on Instagram, I'm at melissa.louise.johnson and at impossible.beauty on Facebook, impossible beauty blog and podcast. I think it had to be really long on there. <laughs> That's um, okay. I, I can link them too. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, as our listeners, as always, if you enjoy this conversation with Melissa, if you appreciate her insight and perspective and willingness to kind of break down these barriers of beauty, shame, and insecurity, we just ask that you share it with a friend or family member, share this episode, share her book with somebody who can resonate with it and send it as a gift. You know, that I think even just those small tasks, not only of supporting Melissa, but also starting that conversation within your social group to then begin breaking down these barriers to say, Hey, this isn't something that I want to live. This isn't how I want to live anymore. This isn't something I want to stand behind anymore and can really make a difference. And just like you said, Melissa can really change our culture. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you enjoy the conversation, um, tag us on social media, let us know what you gain from it. And we will talk to you next week. I love you guys. And thanks for being here.